0: So we are continuing this series that we started several weeks ago. Um, as we are studying our way through the book of Romans through this summer. Um, and again, we started, um, the beginning of summer, we started to work through chapters one, two, and three of Romans. And, and as we work through that, it provides us the, the foundation and the overall themes of the entire book. And as you see, when you get to the end of chapter three is, is Paul has presented all of the themes and information that he's going to give us in the entire letter. And now two weeks ago, when I was gone, Pastor Max gave you a message on, on Romans 4. And, and as we, he started and, and taught in that, in that chapter, we see that now Paul starts to go deeper in some of these themes. And, and now for the rest of, of the book and the rest of, of this letter is, is he does, he goes deeper into all of these teaching topics. Okay? And, and, uh, and we go deeper into these deeper levels of what it means for our daily life and as we live out our faith. Uh, we saw now chapter four is it's all about being justified by faith, right? And even in there, Paul uses a couple Old Testament examples of Abraham and of David and, and how their lives of walking with God was still based on faith and, and how because of that faith, it was counted to them as righteousness. Right? And how we are saved and by faith, not by works, right? That we cannot earn our salvation, but yet we receive it through the work of Jesus Christ in our faith in him and and now we see in this next section as we go into romans chapter 5 and that's going to be our text for this morning is we're going to read from romans chapter 5 we're going to start with these first five verses Uh, so romans 5 verses 1 through 5 if you have your bible with you today i invite you to open with me to romans chapter 5. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you. You're welcome to use in the seats. And you can grab one of those. And notice on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Um, but as we open up to Romans 5, we're going to start at verse 1. And before I read the text, I just want to say, look at the first word in Romans 5, verse 1, where it says, therefore. Hey, now, when you see that word in Scripture, Okay, now, anywhere in, in literature at all, but especially in scripture, is when you see that word, you need to mentally take note. Because this word is a transition. Okay, when we see this word, we need to pay attention because this, this shows us that the author is transitioning into a new phase of teaching or a new topic. However, he's telling us that in order to understand what he's about to teach us, by saying, therefore, he's building on top of what he has just taught. And so when we see that word, we need to know and go back. And, and again, Pastor Max took you through chapter four. And, and again, he, Paul's telling us, he's like, you're not going to understand what I'm about to tell you if you don't understand what I just told you. Okay, so when you see that word, if you're ever just going into a passage and you see that word, therefore, make sure that you go back to the verses preceding. Right, I say, okay, do I understand the concept that was presented before this teaching so that I can fully understand what he's about to teach me? Okay, so we see this transition of therefore, and then we go in, and like I said, as he's moving into a new teaching or a new topic, he's building on top of what he just taught us in Chapter 4. So then we move in. So what is this new teaching? He jumps in, and he gives us a lot of content really fast. So are, so buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Okay. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Okay, now, we, we, I'll pause there because, again, he gives us a lot to digest in these verses. Okay, as we get into here, um, Paul now goes super practical in regard to our faith. Right? He's established in chapter 4 that we are declared righteous because of our faith. Right? That we can only, by believing in God, we are saved. Is, um, again, he's shown how we are made righteous through our faith, and, and now he's about to show us how that faith should impact our daily life. He's saying, he's establishing, he's continuing to this theme of like, okay, we're saved by faith, not by works, but now that faith should change you and affect you every single day of your life from salvation moving forward. Right? And, and, and that is again, what he's teaching us in all of chapter five. He's trying to get us to see that and understand and challenge us to say, how does your faith affect your daily life. And therefore, that is the rhetorical question I will present us with today as we continue to study these verses, right, is keep this and continually ask this of yourself, as a follower of Jesus, does this describe my daily life? Because our faith is supposed to affect our daily life every day, right? We're not supposed to come to church and to hear about faith and then leave it at the door when we get in our car and drive away right? It's supposed to go with us in every moment of every day, right? And and Paul here, Paul gets super practical and says, does your faith affect every moment of your daily life? Okay, so keep this in mind as we go through all of the content that he gives us in these verses. Okay, cause to be asking yourself, as a follower of Jesus, because I have faith in Jesus, does this affect, does this describe what my life should look like? Because he tells us what our life should look like as a follower of Jesus every day. And then he goes in in these first two verses and he gives us three ways that that should happen. Ways that our faith should affect our daily life. Okay, changes it should bring to our life because of our faith. And so, again, because of our faith, it should do this if you're truly living it out every day. Number one is we have peace with God. He tells us in in verse 1, if you have faith, if you have an active faith, a growing faith, a a saving faith, then you will have peace with God. Now, peace is a concept that we long for in our world, right? It's something we long for in in our own lives, in in our families, in our communities, in, in, in our nation, in our world, in fact, if, if you've just even seen the headlines this last week, right? Know that uh, we are a nation in a world that is on the brink of war, right? And there are tensions all over the world that are, that, are, that, are, that are thick, right? And again, like, but the leadership of our country has sat back this week and said, as we sit on the brink, they're like, our desire is not for war, our desire is for peace. We hope that we can negotiate and, and, and get to a place where we can all stay peaceful. Again, we long for this peace. And and not only again, as we see this true in our world, this is also true in our own hearts and our own faith, right? Is that our souls long for peace. And yet so many people live their daily life in the opposite of peace, right? In fact, we live in fear. We live in fear in a lot of things. In fact, in our culture, I mean, you know, anxiety medication is like off the charts as far as how many people need you know, this help, I mean, medically against fear and anxiety. And, and yet, and here Paul says that our faith will bring us peace with God. Now, again, the opposite of peace is fear. Now, now again, Scripture describes fearing God, but, but, that, but it's not the same fear. I mean, a fear of God is, is a respect and a reverence of God, right? That's not what he's talking about here. Right? He's the, the opposite of peace of fear is, is a fear of, 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 of truly like being afraid of being punished or being destroyed, right? of being afraid for my own well-being. Right? And yet, that is the opposite of peace. Again, there's a few different ways that if we are at, truly at peace with God, that it will play out in our daily lives. One is, if we are at peace, we'll be at peace in regards to my past sins again if i'm living by faith and i'm justified by faith right then my sins scripture tells us my sins have been forgiven have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness they are as far as the east is from the west that is the truth of god's word and yet so many people even professing christians yet still do not live in peace because of their past sins we believe the lie that the enemy continues to, to whisper in our head about like, well, you can't, God can't love you. You did that. Right? This this, this is who you really are. Like, and those are lies. Right? And lies and lies to try to keep us away from peace with God. If we are have our faith and and count as righteousness, it is forgiven. And, Living at peace with God shows that me living as if my sins are actually as far as the east is from the west, from me. Knowing that God sees me as forgiven, right? And then I can be at peace with God. I don't have that, that constant regret, right, of my past sins. Now, do I go back into those sins? No. Do I continue to, you know, to, to move in? At that? No, that's part of my transformation is move away from those sins, right? But to live at peace with the past sins of my life. Also, another way that this practically plays out in our life, if we're truly living with peace at God, is it gives us a peace in regards to my experiences. You know, and the different things that I've experienced in my life, that I can, at the core of who I am, know and live at peace, knowing that God wants the best for me right? And that my my current experiences and the things that God's going to lead me towards in the future, that God wants the best for me, that he isn't out to get me or punish me or just waiting for me to mess up so he can just smash me, right? And yet, so many times we live in that that place where we're just so worried that like, oh man, if I just mess up just a little bit, like God's just going to throw out his wrath, right? But that's the opposite of being at peace with God, right? Living out my faith and knowing that not only am I forgiven in the past, but yet I'm living in this peace with God of knowing that he loves me and he wants the best for me, right? And that even when I face hard things or even when I make a wrong decision, that God is going to be right there to pick me up and to move me forward and continue to transform me and to teach me to go away from the pain that those cause, right? That I don't have to live in in fear of punishment or, or regret of the past, but yet I can live in a peace with God because of the transformation he's made in my heart at salvation and the transformation he continues to make in my heart as I journey towards him every day and as my faith affects my daily life and my attitudes and therefore my actions. Right, the next thing as he builds on top of that. The first thing was, because of my faith, I'll have peace with God. Then in verse 2, he gives us the second thing which is that we are in a place of undeserved privilege, right? Because of my faith, I am at a place of undeserved privilege with God. Now, first we see again, undeserved. I mean, this is word, right? It means I don't deserve it. I have not earned it right, this status that I have because the, that I, it enables me to have peace with God, this, this place of forgiveness that God doesn't see my sin, but he sees my, my purity because of Jesus, and because of his blood, I've been washed clean, and, and again, I'm at this place of undeserved privilege. I don't deserve it. In fact, I mean, that's at the core of the gospel message, right, is I can't deserve my salvation, I cannot be good enough, I can't earn it myself by my own works, right? Is I have to have it by faith through grace. Because the truth is, the only thing that I deserve from God, the only thing that I have earned from God is death, right? That is what I've earned because I'm sinful because of my sin. That's the only thing I deserve from God. Anything I get from God other than death and judgment, is undeserved, and yet God gives us everything through the gospel and through grace, right? And through the power of Jesus, of him paying that price for my sin, right? Anything I get from God other than death and judgment is by grace, is undeserved, right? And God, again, God in his love, he he loves giving us what we don't deserve. Right? That is in the character of God. That is, is who he is. And yet everything I get from God other than death is undeserved. And he says, we, we are in this place of undeserved privilege. Again, privilege of what? Right? What does he mean by undeserved privilege? Privilege, you know, mean, again, is, is that I, ha- I get something that I haven't deserved, right? That, 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 that everybody else doesn't get. Right, so what am I what am I privileged to because of my faith? Okay, I am I am privileged in being a part of God's family. Right, just as we sang our said today, right? I'm a friend of God. Okay, and, and again, as a as a friend of God, as as a family member of God, when I receive Christ as my Savior, my identity changes. I move from God's creation to God's child. Right, and as God's child, I get privilege. That, that God's family doesn't get, right? And we know that, right, It's a part of our, just our earthly families, like uh, you treat your family different than you treat a casual acquaintance, right? Your, your kids, your family members, they are privileged to other things in your life that you wouldn't give to anybody else, okay? And God is a good father, right? And God gives us things that as his family members, we have access and treatment that friends and acquaintances don't get. Right now we know in our life, right? Even sometimes friends become close of family where they have a privilege in our life, right? And friends can be that close. In fact, some friends are closer than actual family, in a lot, right? And And in that, even in those cases, those friends have a privilege in our life that even family don't get, right? They have access into our lives and into different things, right? as they say, like you're truly family when you can walk in and not have to knock, right? Now, there's some of my family that that's not true of, <laughs> right? But we have privilege, right, that we don't deserve. Undeserved privilege because, because we are a family, a part of God's family, right? Again, what is that? You think about it for a moment, think about the privilege we have as followers of Jesus, as saved people, the fact that I can talk to the creator of the world anytime I want to. right? I have direct access through prayer to my heavenly father, the creator of the world. Anytime I want to talk to him, I can talk to him. That's privilege. I think about the fact, right, that I, as a follower of Jesus, I am never alone. No matter what I face, no matter what victory I'm celebrating, no matter what's going on, I am never alone because I have, the Holy Spirit living in my heart. His presence is, is in my heart. He, I'm never alone. That's privilege. But right? just as Jesus teaches as a follower of Jesus, right? And, and the, the, the Holy Spirit and in me is Jesus tells us, he's like, if you have faith and you ask and you pray, like you can move mountains, right? That I have access to God's power. Anytime I need it. That's privilege. And it's all undeserved. I didn't earn any of it, but yet, as a follower of Jesus, I have that undeserved privilege, and just those a few examples should just draw you to your knees in praise, right? And if my faith is, is working every day in my life, not only do I have peace with God, but I am in a place of undeserved privilege. And then he moves into the last thing he gives us, the third thing in the end of verse two, is he says that we will share in God's glory. Yeah, we will share in God's glory. Now again, what is God's glory? What is he describing here? Right now, think about God's glory. Again, heaven is God's glory, right? Of, of us living in his unhindered presence in a close intimate relationship with our creator. Right, that that is God's glory. Right, and in fact, that was God's original idea for creation. That's what the Garden of Eden was. Right, it was Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the garden in his uninter presence. Right before sin entered the world. Right, and again, that is God's glory. It, it describes heaven in, right, it's saying that, that God's glory is the light source of heaven. There is no sun, right? It's, it's God's glory that, that lights up heaven. Right, and yet we share in that glory. Again, God's presence is holy, right, and the closer relationship that I have with God, the more holy I become. Right, and that is how, again, I continue to move forward in my faith. The closer I get to God, the more God rubs off on me, and the more that he transforms my heart and my my attitudes, and, and meaning that I'm more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. Because I am sharing in his glory, every step forward I take in my faith, I get more of God's glory, of his holiness and his transformation that he makes in my heart and my life. Right? And, and again, as we see, um, that it says that, that we not only share in God's glory, but notice he says that we confidently and joyfully look forward to it. Right? the more of God's glory I get as I continue to, to move forward in my faith and, and the more that I share in that glory, the more confident I become and the more joyful I become and the further I move in my journey. know, right? again, as we realize that I was saying, as a people of faith, we should be the most joy-filled people on the face of the planet. Are we? Does that describe our daily life? You know, does our culture look on and be like, man, I wish I could be a Christian because Christians love life and they're full of joy and no matter what they face, like it's it's incredible. It doesn't make any sense. Is that what a culture sees when they look at us as followers of Jesus? Because they should, according to Paul. Right, now, as you see that, then he moves into this very practical example of what would be different about our life if our faith truly affects our, our daily life. Right, in verses 3 through 5, when he describes this, this one example, right, which is when we face a trial or a struggle. Right? And he literally says in, in verse 3, right, that, that, um, that our life should look different because when we face a trial because of our faith, Right? When we are faced with a problem or trial, we have a choice to make. Because of our faith, we actually have a choice. Now again, he, he's very clear that even as a follower of Jesus, you're still going to face problems and trials. Again, we don't get a pass on life just because we're following Jesus. Right, This world is still sinful and fallen, and there's e- evil bounds, and there's all kinds of struggles we are going to face. Right, But because of our faith, when we face this problem or trial, we have a choice to make. Now, again, this implies that if you don't have faith, there is no choice, right? And we see that play out in our life every day, right? When we, we see people that face a struggle or, or a problem in their life, if they do not have God in their life, if they do not have faith, there is no choice because they just go straight to anger, frustration, bitterness, being pushed down and, and dropped out, right? And that, that's, that's their only choice. That's the only option for them without faith. And yet, if I have faith, I now have a choice, right? I can choose between going down that natural road of anger and frustration and bitterness, or as Paul presents, the other choice is I can choose to rejoice. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Really? Why on earth would I rejoice at a struggle, at a problem? Right, but yet he's telling us, because of your faith, you have this choice. And then in the following verses, he describes what it looks like, what your daily life will look like if you choose to rejoice instead of go down the road of anger and bitterness. Okay, if you choose to rejoice, then he, he presents this, this new concept. Right, and he goes into it. First, he says, if you choose to rejoice, then you will develop Endurance. You will develop endurance. Again, this is a conscious choice we have to make. I'm going to choose to rejoice in the midst of a struggle, right? Because of my faith, I'll make that choice. And then, as I walk through that, I will develop endurance. Again, now endurance is, happens when I know that something will bring me long-term gain. Okay, if I know something will bring me long-term gain, then it motivates me to continue through the struggle. Okay, now when we think about this, this, let's take this into our physical world. Right, we think about working out, okay. Now, working out is something that nobody really enjoys, okay. Working out is, is a struggle, right? It's a struggle that we put ourselves into. Now, again, if you, if you do it as part of your regular routine, like, you can get to where you, you, you know, it, it's something that you do and you're not completely miserable, okay. But, but when you start working out, you're, you are completely miserable. It is a struggle. Right? Now, we also know that if if I don't continue to work out, it's not going to actually bring me any gain. Right? And I don't know about you, but I've done this many times, right? Is I get all motivated, I get excited, I start a new workout routine, and I do it just long enough to get sore. Right? And and then you get, and all I ever gain from that workout is just being sore. Right? Because I don't develop endurance. Right? The only way that's ever going to actually help me to get any kind of long-term gain is to develop endurance, to continue to keep going, right? The same is true if I, if I choose to eat right, to eat a, a healthy, nice, balanced diet, right? Again, that is not something that anybody naturally chooses, right? Give me more cake. That's what we normally choose, right? That, but eating well, again, there is a long-term gain if I choose to eat well. But again, if I eat well one day, it's not going to help me. I'm just going to be hungry right? Again, we need endurance in order for these things to actually help us, for them to be long launching. I can't go show up, you know, work out one day and be like, yeah, I'm done. No, you're not done. You have to keep going. Again, endurance, and that's exactly what endurance is. Endurance is the ability to keep going, because if I don't keep going, then it will not help me, right? And when I end up in a, in a struggle or in a problem, again, it will give me endurance, and it gives me Reasons to keep going. Again, it's true in these physical examples and it's true in the spiritual realm. Again, spiritual disciplines will truly transform your life only if they are coupled with endurance. Again, if I commit to daily Bible reading and I read it one day, it's not gonna make a huge difference in my life. Right, but if I develop endurance and I do it day after day after day, it will transform you right, is you need endurance. Again, if, it, if without it, it will not lead you to the next thing that Paul describes in this. If you find endurance, then it will lead to strength of character. Right, now again, your character, right, is, again, your character is getting stronger, right, improving, again, being more like God, more holy, right? As my character continues to develop, Right now, again, what is my character? My character is what you are and what you do when no one is looking. Right? We can all fake it for a while when we know somebody's watching us. Right? But our character is doing the right thing even when no one's watching and even if you end up doing the right thing alone. Right? Even if everybody else is going down a different way, your character is doing the right thing when nobody's watching and when, even if you're alone, right? And and Paul tells us if we develop this endurance in this trial with our faith, then it will develop our character. And the more it develops our character, the more it will lead to a confident hope. Again, a confident hope. Now, again, hope is a very powerful thing. But before we get that, he's not describing just hope. He's, He's describing a confident hope. Now there's a very fine line between confidence and arrogance. Okay, now confidence is different than arrogance only based on what that confidence is placed in or that arrogance is placed in. Okay, uh, again, it, all, it ultimately comes down to where it's placed. Okay, think about it in the sports context. In sports, if I'm confident in, in a sports context, I can be confident in knowing that I have have practiced well and I have have honed the skills of that sport. I can be confident in knowing that I've been coached well and I have good people around me. I can be confident in my team and that we are ready to compete, right? And I have, again, confidence going into that sports competition. That's confidence, and it's in, in my practice, in my coaching, in my team, and all those things around me that have gotten me to that point arrogance in sports is completely centered on myself, right? That's the difference between confidence and arrogance, right? Is where it is placed. Again, in regards to our faith, our confidence is placed in God, not in myself, right? We go back to the the whole undeserved thing, right? My confidence, hope, is placed in God, not in myself. And then we get to hope. Again, what does hope look like? Again, I, as I think of this, I, I was thinking, and this, this continues to pop into my head from this very famous psalm, Psalms 23. Okay, and I believe this is a really good biblical definition of what hope is. Okay, Psalms 23, verse 4, where he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, again, different, more, uh, different translation says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Again, what's my confidence in? It's in God, not in myself. When I walk through that valley, when I face that struggle. Okay, but again, but, so what's the hope? Okay, underline the phrase, walk through. Because that's the hope. Because it says, again, I, will I face trials and struggles? Yes, I will. But I'm not going to stay there. I'm gonna walk through that struggle. I'm gonna walk through that valley. I'm gonna come out the other side, right? The loss of hope is when I feel like I'm gonna live in that valley for the rest of my life, right? That I'm not passing through. I'm gonna set up camp in that valley and that's when I lose hope, right? That I'm gonna stay there. Walking through the valley gives me hope. And again, where's that confidence coming out hope? It comes in knowing that God is with me and that God is protecting me, and that God is comforting me, again, that I'm not going through that valley alone. That's where the confidence comes from, and the hope is that I'm coming out the other side. Right As we realize that, and as we continue to move that through, right then it says, if we can do that, then it leads us, that confident hope leads us to God's love. Again, God's love can be fully experienced because of my faith. And again, refer back to the results of an act of faith. And as we realize that, again, this very practical example that Paul gives us, right, of how does my faith apply to my daily life when I face a struggle? I saw this, this saying the other day. and I think, I think it's, it's very fitting. Right? You don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. Because will I face trials as a follower of Jesus? Yes, I will. But I have a choice to make because of my faith when I face those trials, right? And the choice is, what am I going to focus on? Am I going to focus on the struggle or am I going to focus on my God? Again, we see this entire process that is moving through from endurance to strength of character, to confident hope, to God's love. And just pause for a moment and think about this concept that facing a trial or struggle or a problem actually shows me how much God loves me. Right now, that is completely the opposite of what the world tells us when we face a problem or a struggle, right? But when we face it, it shows me how much God's loved me. That is, if we have a strong faith that is affecting our daily life, it will show me how much God loves me when I face that. Now, again, tragedy has the potential to either pull you closer to God, like we see Paul describing here, or to push you away from God. And I've seen both happen. Right in, in, in people, as they go through different things, whether it's the death of a loved one, a cancer battle, an ugly family falling out, whatever the tragedy is, I see some people come out the other side with a stronger faith than ever before. Right? And I've also seen people that blame God and turn their back on him. And it seems like that there's nothing in between. It's one or the other. And again, but what, what makes the difference? What determines the outcome? The difference is it comes down to this choice, to what do I focus on? Do I turn to, to and put my confidence, my hope in God as he walks me through the valley, or do I not? Do you focus on the tragedy, or do you focus on the God that you know? On how angry you are, or on how much God loves you? right, and that's the difference. And then in the next following verses, right, in verses 6 through 11, then Paul defines for us what God's love looks like, right? He gives us through this, all these struggles. And he says, then we end up with how much God loves us. And then in verses 6 through 11, he shows us what God's love looks like. Okay, Romans 5, starting at verse 6, and he says, when we are utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners, Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we certainly will be saved through the life of his Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Again, what does love look like? Paying the price for our sin. What does love look like? Setting us free through our faith in Christ. That's what love looks like. That's what God's love looks like. And because of my faith and because of God's love in my life, I can rejoice no matter what I face. Because of my faith, because of God's love, I can rejoice. I have that choice now because of my faith and because of God's love. Again, as he wraps it up on this whole concept in verse 11, right? When he says, so now we can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship of God, because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Again, what is our focus on? Is it on the tragedy we face or is it on the God we serve? He's saying the only way we could ever rejoice is because of the God who loves us. There's no other way. Right? And that it will a daily affect us daily as we walk with Him. And then in this last section of chapter 5, okay, verses 12 through 20. Okay, is Paul addresses this very common question, which is one of the natural questions that comes from this concept. As really, as a follower of Jesus, I still have to face trials? Right? That, that kind of stinks. I, I mean, I agree with you. I'd rather not have to face a trial as a follower of Jesus. Right? So it leads us to then this very common question, which is, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? And then Paul answers this question now as he's building this concept, and he answers it then in these Verses, now again, I don't have time to read you all these verses. Okay, but he he summarizes the answer in verse 18. Okay, where he says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Again, this is a two-part answer to this question. Okay, why do bad things happen to good people? Part number one, because Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone. We live in a fallen, sinful, evil world. Okay, why do bad things happen to good people? Because we're in the world. And because Adam's sin brought evil into this world, right? And because of Adam's sin, we are all sinners. We inherit that sinful nature, right? But the second part of the answer, again, thankfully it doesn't end there. That's not the end of the answer. The second part of the answer, right, is that Christ brings new life for everyone. Do bad things happen to good people? Yes, they do, but that's not the end. The end is Christ saved us, set us free, redeems us, makes changes our identity, makes us a part of his family. And then we end up with our faith that gives us all of these results that he presented to us in the first two verses. Do bad things still happen to good people? Yes, they do, but the good news is that I can have peace with God right, that I'm in undeserved privilege, that, I, that I, I'll, I'll build my, my faith, guide you through my daily life. And my focus is not on the struggle, it's on the God that I serve. As we wrap up today and as we, we can tell that this, this natural challenge we have then of saying, will I choose to rejoice no matter what I face, right, does my faith affect my daily life? Do I, does my faith go with me into everything that I face no matter what? Again, as I've told you before, Paul does not present any new information in this letter. Okay, in fact, Jesus told us this exact thing. Okay, which is my final thought today. And that is, comes from John 16, the words of Jesus. When he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Because here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Amen. Will, will bad things happen to good people? Yes. On this earth, they will. In heaven, they won't. On this earth, yes, they will. But, but we have a choice of how we face those trials. Again, our focus is, again, just as Jesus tells focus on him, not on the struggle. Right. Right? That our faith will bring us through. It gives us a confident hope. Right? And knowing that I will come out the other side better and further along my faith than I was before. And that the world will notice. Lord God, we praise you today because you have overcome whatever we face. And God, we praise you, God, that we don't have to face this life alone. God, that we can choose to rejoice because of our faith in you, because you're with us, because your rod and your staff protect us, because you are walking us through the valley. And God, I pray, Lord, that no matter what we face, Lord, whether it's a huge struggle or whether just the the monotony of daily life, God, that we would turn to you and and find freedom through our faith and a confident hope, God, through who you are and what you're doing in our life. God, as we go this week, I pray, God, that we would put our, our confidence in you. God, that we would be more like you tomorrow than we are today as we continue to journey forward in our faith. And God, as we do that, that that this world again would see who you are through us. And God, that we would take that opportunity to share your light in this dark, hurting world. Lord, as we go this week, I pray that you would guide our steps, guide our minds and transform our hearts as we serve you with everything we have every day of our life, as we live out our faith. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.